Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology. Merry Christmas, everybody. If you are celebrating today, then I hope you have a very happy holiday. If you're not celebrating today, then I hope you're having a nice start to your week. Um, today, we're going to be taking a look at Venus's trine to Neptune. Venus in Scorpio is making a trine to Neptune in Pisces on this holiday. Um, it's an interesting signature to have present on a, a holiday where many people might be hanging out with family too. So <laughs> I thought it was interesting that um, in my family, as we're getting together today, a bunch of us are all bringing musical instruments so that we can play some music together. And I thought that was kind of fitting for Venus's trying to Neptune. But anyway, regardless of what you're up to today, I just wanted to start off by saying how thankful I am for all of you and what a great year it's been. And I hope you will enjoy today's content and a week that really is packed full of some special content taking us into the new year. So on that note, before we get into Venus's trying to Neptune today, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments and reflections if you've got them, would love to hear from you. Transcripts of any of my daily talks, including today's, can be found on the website nightlightastrology.com. Well, we have uh, just about five days left, a little less than a week, about I guess about six or something like that, six days left. Uh, in our annual Kickstarter campaign, we are trying to get to 1,777 backers. We have just under a week left to go. So far, as the time I'm recording this intro, we have 954 backers, which means we are over halfway now. We just need 823 more by New Year's Eve. I know that sounds like a lot with a little time left, but I think we can rally and push this across the finish line in our last days here. I really do. So I'm, I'm maintaining hope, lighting a little candle on the altar here and hoping that we can meet our goal, which will allow us to uh, not only, you know, obviously keep the lights on, but meet some of our stretch goals too, which will be uh, the establishment of an affordable reading service. Um, you guys know when you're supporting the Kickstarter, you're not just supporting me, but an entire staff of people. If you go to my shorts in YouTube, you can actually get to know some of them, see their faces and hear a little bit about what they do at Nightlight, uh, all of which... Uh, is necessary for creating the time that I need every day to spend three to four hours uh, producing this. Anyway, you can find the link to the Kickstarter pinned at the top of the comment section or in the description of this video. Head on over, uh, pledge, and see if we can get to our goal by New Year's Eve. Um, when you do, you can pick up a variety of rewards, reading, special lectures, talks on the astrology of the year ahead, horoscopes for your rising sign or sun sign for the year ahead. Alex and I break those down for you. Major discounts on my online training programs. If you want to come and study astrology in 2024 or beyond, pick up a class pass for a huge discount. Uh, we only offer these uh, during the Kickstarter, especially our bundles, where you can save a lot more. Uh, so today, um, as I prepped for um, my Kickstarter intro, where I do a little promotion for my Kickstarters, you guys know I've been telling you a little bit more about myself. And here on Christmas, I thought I would focus on three ways that I think we learn as students of astrology, including myself, who I'm, and we're all perpetual students of astrology. These are three things that I think contribute most strongly to the development of our skills, our abilities, our understanding of astrology. And these three things I consciously try to put into all of the programming that I do on my channel. The number one way that we learn as students of astrology is be, we become familiar with archetypes and archetypal combinations, whether that's signs, planets, houses, aspects, they're all rooted in archetypes. By becoming familiar with those core patterns and their um, the variations of those patterns and the different ways that they express themselves and the different ways that they combine with each other and then the different ways in which they can combine with each other, the constant like drumbeat of astrological learning that just keeps the rhythm should be constant exposure uh, of archetypes and turning of the jewels of archetypes and their combinations. 
And this channel seeks to do that every single day so that your learning is perpetual. We try not to fall into stereotypes. We try to always look at new ways of understanding things that maybe you've seen 10 times before on the channel, but you'll always hear in a slightly different way. Number, the number two, the number two way I believe that we learn as students of astrology is to match archetypes with lived experiences. So you'll notice that there's a lot of storytelling on my channel. I share a lot of my observations or experiences with transits. I share your stories in the Grab series, and I constantly try to use illustrations from real life and uh, make sure that we're doing things like journaling exercises and tracking of transits, or that I suggest doing them. Because it's not just about understanding archetypes and their combinations uh, and their multivalence, right? It's also about seeing them and noticing them in your experience. And it can be very everyday. It does not have to be big, ultimate wormhole gateways of, you know, transformation, death and rebirth, all of these quarter word, uh, you know, qu quarter jar words. It really can be as simple as just being able to observe the movements of the moon and the aspects the moon is making, uh, the intensity of a full moon in a particular sign. So one of the things I do on this channel constantly is try to embody archetypes in stories. That's how we learn, in my humble opinion. And number three, it's good to note it, to learn archetypes and combinations of archetypes, turn the jewel of the archetype. Uh, but it, And it's also really good to become familiar with their presence in our lives to become observant and to notice how they're expressing themselves in our lives. But even more important, or maybe the most important is that once we've done those things, we also create some containers within which to reflect upon those experiences because the planets are teachers, they're guides, they shed light on things, they bring awareness to things, they help us sort of, I, I, I don't love the phrase raise our consciousness because, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of people who say that, that I don't necessarily, I don't know, re resonate with, but they help us illuminate ourselves from within. And where there's illumination, there's happiness, there's generosity, there's compassion, there's connection, there's intelligence, there's virtue, there's artfulness, there's uh, harmony with other beings. Because when we're illuminated from within, it's not because we've reached some objective level of spiritual growth. It's that we're in the practice of turning the lights on inside. And we do that not by not by decoding what's being taught to us in a transit, but by spending time reflecting on the many different teachings and ideas and insights that are available to us through the archetypes that live and express themselves through our experiences. So reflecting on our archetypal experiences is something that I also try to do on all of the episodes. You're going to see archetypes, you're going to see combinations, you're going to hear stories, and you're going to hear ways in which we reflect upon the presence of the planets and their various philosophical implications in our everyday lives. If we do this regularly, and that's what this ch channel is designed to do in large part, then we will constantly be in a stream of learning as students of astrology. And that's a huge part of my value as a content creator. So on that note, if you value these things as well, and you notice and appreciate these values in your experience of watching the content of this channel, please consider donating. You'll find the link to the Kickstarter again, pinned to the top of the comment section or in the description of this video. Every donation helps. You can pick up a variety of really awesome rewards as thank you gifts when you do so. Let's see if we can't get to our 1,777 backer goal by New Year's Eve. And in the meantime, here on Christmas Day, if you're celebrating again, Merry Christmas. If you're not, I hope you're still having a peaceful, restful day today and a nice start to your week. And I hope you will enjoy today's talk on Venus's trine with Neptune. Take it easy. All right. So today we are taking a look at Venus's trine to Neptune. 
which is apparently the gift that the planets are giving all of us for Christmas, at least those of us who are celebrating today. Um, so we're going to take a look at Venus in a trine to Neptune, and we're going to do so by looking at a passage on Venus-Neptune aspects from a really uh, well-known book on Neptune by Liz Green called Neptune, the Astrological Neptune and the Quest for Redemption. Uh, there's a wonderful passage in here. It's about two to two and a half pages long that we're going to take a look at where Liz Green breaks down the archetypal combination of Venus and Neptune in any kind of aspect whatsoever. Although when we put them into a trine, the great thing is that the two planets have elemental compatibility. They are in a trine between signs of 120 degrees, and that was associated with the planet Jupiter, the great benefic planet of unification and uh, also blessings and abundance. And so there's a fluidity between Venus and Neptune today that's special. It's very watery into water signs. We'll talk a little bit about that after we unpack some of the general meanings of Venus-Neptune combinations. But as a side note, their combination today really is quite positive and supportive overall. Of course, there's a little bit of uh, depth and intensity anytime that Venus is in a Mars ruled sign. Scorpio is a deep sign and it it likes to go into more provocative spaces to unearth and explore unconscious material. It appreciates emotional catharsis and intensity, deep authenticity and honesty from Venus and Scorpio. So a little bit of that edge from Venus's placement, but the connection to Neptune and Pisces softens it a great deal and that trine will be creating a really nice fluid harmony between the two planets today. So anyway, we're going to look at this passage and then I am going to pause perhaps along the way or afterwards just to see how I feel and offer some reflections. And then we will maybe specify a little bit with the reiteration of the signs of uh, Scorpio and Pisces. But anyway, I thought this would be a fun, it's kind of light. I've recorded this in advance. I'm not obviously working on Christmas, but for those of you who might have some space in your day and want to take in the content, see what aspects are flowing, see if you can notice Venus and Neptune in a trine, uh, maybe at your family gathering, if you're doing something like that, or at home, if you're just taking a moment to reflect and, you know, be a little bit uh, quieter on a holiday where a lot of things are shut down here in the U.S. anyway. So, um, and, and again, just broadly speaking, happy holidays to everyone. We've had the solstice. If you celebrate Hanukkah this month, uh, if you're in uh, into the Christmas scene, New Year's is coming up. Uh, just, just in general, I hope you guys are not having a nice conclusion to 2023. And I hope, as always, that you know that we are here to support you at Nightlight and giving you this content year round um, is a, it's a real joy. It is one of the things that I'm most grateful for. So anyway, on that note, let us view, let us take a look now at Liz Green's Neptune-Venus uh, passage. Neptune-Venus aspects. I pursued a maiden and clasped a reed. Gods and men, we are all deluded thus. It breaks in our bosom and then we bleed. The contacts of Neptune and Venus are of the most romantic aspects in the colloquial as well as the historical sense of the word. Venus does not describe love on the emotional level. Rather, it portrays an ideal of love, which embodies what the individual perceives as beautiful and worthwhile. Venusian relationship allows us to discover our values, what one loves, one secretly is. And it is these qualities which form the bedrock of a sense of personal worth. Aspecting other inner planets, Venus will find its vision of beauty embodied in the people, objects, and experiences of everyday life. The expression of individual values through personal tastes creates feelings of contentment, 
And each day can provide happiness through the pleasures of the senses and the delights of human companionship. Neptune, unlike Venus, tends toward chronic unhappiness for nothing in this world, however beautiful, can compensate for the lost waters of paradise. Two characteristic manifestations of Venus-Neptune are divine discontent in matters of love and interference with the capacity for personal happiness. If the lover is not perfect, one feels betrayed. If the environment is not perfect, one becomes depressed. If society is not perfect, one despairs. If the body is not perfect, one longs to shrink it, enlarge it, facelift it, disguise it, or if all else fails, destroy it. For anything less than the seamless beauty of Eden cannot be born. Venus-Neptune is often associated with sexual magnetism and seductiveness. Examples such as Bridget Bordeaux and Marilyn Monroe abound in the world of film. But having the kind of charisma which allows one to be all things to all people may not be a promising augury for future stability and contentment. An individual with Venus-Neptune configurations in their birth chart may unconsciously identify with the victim-redeemer through his or her sexuality seeking to discover a solid sense of self-worth by offering himself or herself to those who have been wounded by life. Compassion and even pity may be powerful components in what the individual defines as love. Venus-Neptune may also be drawn toward those who seem to offer redemption. It is the aspect par excellence of the pursuit of the unobtainable. Ideals of love may be conjoined with themes of suffering and sacrifice, and only a relationship involving pain and expiation is felt to be authentic. So that's that, that romantic yearning quality of Venus and Neptune. Now, as she's describing it, she's describing it as something that can create a feeling of discontentment. But I have found in many cases that especially when Venus and Neptune are trying, the ability to long for and reach for with a kind of things with a kind of romantic idealism is there. And sometimes either things are just a little bit more obtainable or the yearning is felt as satisfying, you know, like watching a good, watching a good romantic film and the way you leave feeling like that was beautiful, even if it's not a cookie cutter ending that is perfectly happy. So I do think that many people are able to experience Venus's, Venus and Neptune's longing for something as itself a kind of fulfillment without that aching feeling that, uh, you know, of, of tragedy that she's describing when something perfect can't be obtained in love or beauty, sex relationships. However, she's right that one of the things that can tear us apart about Venus-Neptune is the sort of dissociative feeling of nothing being as ideal as we hope it 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 will be or could be. So when Neptune is sort of inflects itself on Venus, there's a sense of reaching or longing for something that's sort of impossible and then becoming disillusioned or disappointed by the sort of earthly reality of things as they are. Anyway, she goes on, ideals of love may be conjoined with themes of suffering and sacrifice and only a relationship involving pain and expiation is felt to be authentic. The poetry of courtly love is never far from Venus-Neptune's dreams, nor is the Oedipal triangle of courtly love ever far from Venus-Neptune's psychology. Venus concerns rivalry as much as harmony, <clears throat> because one cannot define one's own worth without contrasting oneself with others. The triangle-forming propensities of Venus are as evident in life as in the goddess myths. 
But the commoner garden variety Oedipal triangle, which if we are to believe Freud is an everyday part of childhood experience, looks rather more dramatic in the waters of Neptune's world. The parent whom one seeks to claim is the divine source and the Oedipal sin is not mere illicit erotic desire, but a longing through fusion for the omnipotence of the Godhead. As Plotinus once wrote, our concern is not to be sinless, but to be God. Venus Neptune does not desire a mortal partner in whose mirror its own values can be reflected. It seeks union with the deity. Only here can absolute beauty and perfection be found. She's right about that, that <clears throat> if you think, for example, about some of the great uh, elements of bhakti or devotion present in different world religions, I think, of course, of Krishna and Radha in the uh, bhakti yoga tradition, but also tantric tradi traditions with Shiva Shakti or... Um, Really, any way of uh, even some of the ways in which mystical Christianity has sought to think think differently about the potential uh, tie between, say, uh, Jesus and and Mary Magdalene or something like that. There are these elements of world religion that almost like metaphorically depict the soul's relationship with the divine as the relationship of of two lovers. And insofar as we recognize that as an archetypal longing that needs almost like a religious function in our life, we need um, ecstatic dance. When I was in graduate school, one of the things I did for exercise, uh, like five days a week, was I went to this class called The Five Rhythms. I actually did it with a video in my living room, too. Anyway, when I was in graduate school, that's what I did. And it was very Venus Neptune in the sense that it's dance, very Venusian, but it's a it's a form of dance that is meant to act as a kind of ecstatic spiritual uh, practice. Many of us have within us the need for ecstatic spiritual experience that is embodied and sensual. If we can recognize that impulse as sacred and important and find avenues for its expression, the trine between Venus and Neptune is a great way of finding that. Um, on the other hand, if we don't recognize that impulse as the kind of ecstatic, tantric um, impulse to connect with something divine and we project it onto human situations, not aware of the archetype, that's when we are demanding that our, our lovers, our friends, our social situations, art, culture, people... Um, be a means of ecstatic communion with the divine. And people consistently fall short of that. Human dynamics uh, consistently fall short of that. I mean, try to have 10 minutes <laughs> of adult time with my wife once the kids are in bed. And at least for an hour, there are lots of like a la carte items being <laughs> requested. <laughs> I need water. <laughs> I need you to rub my foot. It hurts. <laughs> whatever the case might be, right? <laughs> so the point is that this world is uh, bombarded with interruptions of the, the kind of fluid, flowing, divine ecstasy that Venus and Neptune longs for. We have to be aware of that. Otherwise, it will constantly show up as this feeling of disappointment, disillusionment. And then we can sometimes unnecessarily embody this 
uh, quality of complaint and suffering. It's like romanticism. If you've known anyone who's really romantic, but you try to be in a relationship with a romantic who doesn't have some kind of archetypal container and, ex and avenues for the expression of the romanticism, you'll know that they'll drive you nuts because they'll create drama and pain and complaints and whining and suffering uh, over and over and over again. In a sense, it's totally normal and expected that people would do that, especially people who have, say, Venus-Neptune contacts in their natal chart. Uh, but you, you have to understand that um, what we really want, and, and most of us are uh, will be attracted to romantics, or we may find those qualities in ourselves at different times in our life. We, what we really want is someone who can access those qualities, but who has channels for them so that they don't constantly create this kind of intolerance toward the uh the partner or the relationship in a in a kind of drama cycle right and that's what liz green is talking about when she says that venus neptune can kind of create the, these triangles and part of that is because it's a longing for the divine that is always going to project itself onto worldly things art culture beauty people uh communities family lovers and that's where you have to be careful I hope that makes sense. Let's go on. Because the perfection of Eden shimmers behind Venus Neptune's aspirations and love, physical perfection or lack thereof may become a major theme in the individual's relationship pattern. Venus Neptune may experience an unwilling but inexorable turnoff as soon as the partner is discovered to be flawed. Sometimes disillusionment can follow only one sexual encounter. Sometimes it develops over time as the partner shows those small but unmistakable signs of aging which challenge the immortality of paradise. The fantasy of perfect sexual union is often so far removed from the mechanics of the physical act that the latter may prove a deep disappointment. Thus, disillusionment is never far away, nor is the hurt and anger of a partner who cannot understand why he or she is being rejected simply because of existing in a physical body. Again, we don't have, if we don't recognize the archetypal impulse of the, the, the kind of romantic, sensual, spiritual impulse of, of Venus Neptune and have ways that we can express it and tap into it and also learn how to turn it off or recognize it as archetypal, then we it's going to be projected onto people and show up as intolerance for humanity, intolerance for the embodied dimension of life, which is why it's tricky in general with the outer planets to say that they are inherently better or more spiritual than the... Uh, traditional planets. So there's oftentimes this way in which we'll split and we'll say the outer planets are transcendental and the traditional planets are like mundane. Not a good split, not a good way of splitting it, generally speaking, because um, that th this sort of tends to assume that the outer planets are always better. And often the outer planets are highly dissociative in the way that they show up. They, they, they make us crave things that are so far beyond that they're, they're, embedded in a kind of, in, they're, they're, they come with a kind of intolerance that can be really problematic. Anyway, more on that a different time. <clears throat> One of the most difficult dimensions of Venus Neptune is not the individual's own proneness to discontent. Such states of melancholy may be viewed as part of the ethos of sacrificial love, but rather the suffering caused to others who may not recognize that the problem does not lie in their own physical or sexual failings. The perfection which Venus Neptune seeks may, however, be glimpsed in art. 
And it is here that the aspect expresses one of its greatest resources. So this is where she's saying now, if you find a healthy avenue for its expression, even if the individual is not musically talented, there's usually a deep falling feeling for music, which touches one's longing for absolute harmony and fulfills many of Venus Neptune's most insistent yearnings. Poetry, painting, fiction, drama, too, may conjure the lost Eden, which seems to beckon in the beloved space and then vanishes all too soon. A perusal of the charts of well-known artists reveals an abundance of Venus-Neptune contacts. Although the impetus for creative work cannot be attributed to this combination, if the impetus is not there, Venus-Neptune contacts may reflect the aesthete and lover of art, particularly that romantic art which reflects Neptune's redemptive dreams. As someone born with Venus in a trine to Neptune in my own natal chart, going to art school for me was one of the most important things I did. And not surprisingly, it created a much healthier way of relating to that archetype in my life through a medium and through practices. Not surprisingly, in art school, I found things like the five rhythms and yoga and uh, other uh, forms of the embodied Venus Neptune um, that made me to become aware of the fact that this is an archetype that I love and seek. And once we have that, we can usually find mediums in which it is more appropriate and will not sabotage our lives, our relationship with our own bodies or people or situations uh, with this kind of Venus-Neptune intolerance. Because Venus is traditionally exalted in Neptune's sign, that would be Pisces, and she's of course giving Neptune rulership over Pisces, which I don't personally do, but onward. Much has been written about the harmony between the two planets and their connection with universal love. Empathy for humanity, particularly life's victims, and a sense of mystical identity with the whole of nature are often expressed finely and sensitively in Venus-Neptune's interaction with the world. I mean, Venus-Neptune can be like the, the kid who brings wounded animals home too, you know, that just kind of that, almost like a Franciscan love for all, all creatures, great and small. Equally often, Venus-Neptune reflects a boundless tolerance and compassion for the object of its idealized love, sometimes to the point where the individual is willing to put up with all kinds of hurts and humiliation. So oftentimes you'll see, I see constantly hard aspects between Venus and Neptune show up in codependent dynamics with people who have you know, problems with alcohol, for example. That is a classic signature in the charts of people who end up in something like Al-Anon. Neptune's lack of eye softened Venus softens Venus's inherent vanity and pride, and the individual may be genuinely forgiving and extremely kind. But the darker aspects of Neptune's world are never far away, and one may also divide one's affection between an idolized Madonna and a despised Tiamat, or their male equivalents. Venus-Neptune may display extreme cruelty and callousness toward those who receive the projection of the primal sea monster, while at the same time expressing extraordinary compassion and unstinting generosity toward those who receive the projection of the victim-redeemer. So in other words, it's very easy to also take... Venus naturally is involved with what we find beautiful and naturally what we don't like, our likes and dislikes, our values, or our aesthetic. Your aesthetic is as much defined by the things you don't like as it is by those that you do. And so... When that Venus-Neptune contact comes in, you can project your likes and dislikes onto things and find them to be like universally or almost like religiously offensive. So Venus-Neptune, when it's cast onto uh, things that you don't like, can make it almost like a, a cosmic monster. It can, it, can, it can distort how monstrous or ugly or offensive you feel that it is, which is why Venus-Neptune people sometimes are Oh, too easily offended. But anyway, that's that's a really subtle point that she's making that's really important, and it does show up often in Venus-Neptune contacts. 
Venus Neptune's universal love may remain like the speed limit on Italian motorways, an ideal toward which one aspires. Men may transfer Neptune on into an idealized mother spouse who's able to claim their devotion and their pity, but not their sexual passion. Such a bond is fraught with feelings of guilt and obligation, compounded by the inclination to pursue Venusian satisfaction in murkier terrain. The propensity for triangles may sometimes be more prosaically Oedipal than the poetically inclined Venus-Neptune individual might wish to recognize. Women may transfer either planet onto a rival or onto a, a woman who to them represents an ideal of sexual attractiveness or spiritual femininity they feel they lack. Or one may identify with the aspect at the expense of other factors in the chart, thus dooming oneself to be being loved not as a whole woman, but as a mermaid who must retain her magic and mystery or be abandoned by Venus-Neptune lovers who are trapped in the same mythic web. That is true. Venus-Neptune people are often, it's, it's like, the people who, if you have hard Venus-Neptune contacts, uh, really any kind of Venus-Neptune contact, beware of idealizing those you are attracted to or of being idealized um, and of, of eventually being like knocked off that pedestal because, because of the idealization. Um, and that's an unfortunate thing that can happen that, you know, but you also have to be careful not to accept the idealization as nice as it may feel to do so. Um, and be careful of the tendency to idealize because disillusionment often follows a Venus-Neptune. With all these potential fit pitfalls, Venus-Neptune possesses and can create extraordinary magic. Its delicacy, poetry, and romantic sensibilities generate exalted visions of love and harmony, which may find their way into creative products graced with great beauty. The deep unhappiness which the aspect so often reflects in personal life is not, contrary to Venus-Neptune's own view, a karmic inevitability or the signature of a higher spirituality. More often, it is the product of an edible conflict strongly colored by Neptune's mythic dreams and remains a psychological inevitability only as long as its dynamics are unconscious. I actually disagree with her on that point, but um, uh, anyway, I, I'll, I, that, that would be a, a lengthy conversation. I don't particularly agree about the edible conflict. She, 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 she loves, I don't know what it is about Liz Green and her writings. Probably that she came from like the Jungian tradition studied at the Jungian Institute in, in Zurich or wherever that is. And uh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't think that the Oedipal thing is as strong as she probably thinks it is. Because she mentioned she she tends to see it everywhere. Okay. Anyway, that's a sidetrack. We could debate that another time. Yet, however psychologically sophisticated the individual might be, Venus Neptune will often avoid any introspection about the nature of its own relationship patterns, unless the pain becomes very severe. That is also true. Venus Neptune people, when they're projecting that love or need for divine communion into relationships. And they're not aware of the fact that they're doing that will have a really hard time being introspective about their own projective tendencies. And that will often then, it will often manifest in people coming in saying, when will my bad luck run out, run out as opposed to how am I participating in the pattern? Um, that does that, that kind of longing, complaining, woe is me thing is, it can be very Venus Neptune. Um, I find a lot of people are very mature though and understand like I'm I'm a romantic I do this you know after a few times on the merry-go-round we we tend to learn only will, then will one consider a perspective other than the romanticized tragedy of courtly love. Exactly. When questions are finally asked, the astrologer needs to be able to offer something other than it's your karma. Exactly. If the individual can build a sufficient sense of self-worth as an ordinary person and does not demand the impossible, Venus Neptune can find contentment in occasional glimpses of Eden without requiring it on a daily basis. It's sort of like, 
I need to be fed Venus Neptune in my life, in my relationships, semi-regularly, but I also have to be realistic that nothing and no one can stay there all the time. Then one can fully enjoy the gift of infusing ordinary life with exquisite beauty and transforming the everyday interchange between two people into a work of art. So yeah, some of her psychological paradigm is not entirely my own, uh, especially like I said, with sort of the edible programming she seems to see everywhere. But um, I do agree with her in a lot of the points that she makes. And this is really good. It's a really nice passage for us to use as reflection. I can't help but notice that today I know that what will be when I'm as I'm recording this, of course, this is before Christmas, I'm recording this, but on Christmas Day, which you're listening to today, um, I happen to know that I'll be going over to family's house where I think five or six of us in the family are all bringing our guitars to play music together. <laughs> and I just thought that was fantastic that Venus Neptune trine will be coming as there is this sort of uh, a celebration of artists in the family who all want to play and make art and music together and connect in that way. Of course, I'm going to be careful of the temptation of wanting it to last too long when my kids start melting down and it's time to go home <laughs> or, or, or of being too upset if we can't find a perfect harmony like the Beach Boys or something, you know? This is an aspect that as someone who lives with Venus trying Neptune in my chart, I think back to my early 20s and I think of what went wrong in most of my romantic relationships when I was just a, like a young lad. And most of it had to do with a romantic neediness and um, a, a, I, I was often attracted to and attracted people into my life out of the, through the quality of romanticism and, and sort of in fire signs, I have Venus and Leo and Neptune and Sag, that connection in the trine in my chart, very passionate, very um, fiery. And that would only last so long. And then I would become human, they would become human, and then it would fall apart. And as I grew in, especially in the space of the ayahuasca ceremonies, yoga practice, prayer, studying astrology, and starting to learn about that dynamic in my chart, I started realizing it's like there's um, this beautiful mythical firebird in my in my psyche that needs like to sing romantically and connect romantic and I've got to like feed it something and if I don't feed it often enough it'll start making me see and feel the world like one soup of ugliness <laughs> but if I feed it creatively if I feed it passionately from time to time if I sing if I play guitar if I dance if I do something romantic with my spouse if I create content that is creatively satisfying for my job uh then what happens is that part of me is fulfilled. Um, and I also can understand that it can't be there all the time. It can't happen all the time. Um, in my mind with Venus and Scorpio right now, the longing for that connection is intense and it's, and it's more dramatic emotionally. It seeks catharsis and it, it's hunting for this kind of connection. Um, so just be aware of that. Be aware of the fierceness with which Venus seeks Eden, paradise, perfection right now. There's a fluid connection providing the possibility that some peak romantic moment can be experienced or realized. It won't last forever. Recognize the archetype in the midst of your experience right now with Venus Neptune, and you may have some ideas about how you can recreate that peak sort of Dionysian ecstasy that uh, is present this week. Um, and if you have that with you and you recognize it as an archetype, then we advance in our maturity with Venus Neptune and we can 
recreate those experiences without getting carried off by them and then uh, becoming deeply hurt and disappointed and disillusioned and crushed with romantic tragedy uh, all the time. Anyway, I hope that this was useful. Don't forget, guys, we are uh, on our way to the goal by New Year's Eve of 1,777 backers. We still have a ways to go. We need your help. Thank you so much to everyone who's already donated. If you haven't yet, find the link to the Kickstarter pinned to the top of this comment section or in the description of the video. Head over there, pitch in. If you like these videos, if you like this work, know that there is a whole team of us that go into the creation and supporting of this program five days a week year round and when you support the kickstarter you not only keep the lights on here when we meet our base goal but when we reach our final goal we also get to create things like an affordable reading service revamp our website to support that and do some really cool things to try and create more community and more affordable accessible astrological content which we feel is of deep spiritual value and if you do too if you if shows like this make you like you learn something new, you think about something differently, it contributes to your day, please consider supporting us and helping us reach our goal. All right, that's it for now. Merry Christmas if you're celebrating. Otherwise, happy holidays in general. We'll see you again tomorrow.